Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with God's faithful promises as we pick up in Genesis chapter 21, verse 1. And now with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Now the Lord visited Sarah as he had said, I like this, and the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. I like that, as he had said and as he had spoken. I've got that underlined, that just sort of hit me. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. The Lord keeps his word. The Lord is faithful to his promise. He may not do it as quickly as we would like him to do it. Abraham been waiting for 13 years, you know, since the last promise was made. And he was getting older every day. But the Lord came to Sarah as he said, and he did, as he had spoken. And Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son in his old age at the set time which God had spoken to him about. And Abraham called the name of his son that was born unto him, whom Sarah bare unto him, Laughter. Certainly it's a fitting name for the son because the first time God said, hey, I'm going to give Sarah a son. (laughs) Abraham just (laughs) laughed. And then later on when the angel of the Lord came to Abraham and said, Sarah is going to bear thee a son. She was standing in the tent door eavesdropping. And when she heard that, she laughed. And the angel said, why'd you laugh? She said, oh, I didn't laugh. Oh, yes, you did. (laughs) And so, very fitting that the child be named Laughter when he was born. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac, being eight days old, as God had commanded him. And Abraham was a hundred years old when Isaac was born unto him. And Sarah said, God hath made me to laugh so that all that hear will laugh with me. And she said, Who would have said unto Abraham that Sarah would be given a child to nurse? For I have borne him a son in his old age, and the child grew and was weaned, and Abraham made a great feast the same day that Isaac was weaned. Don't you know that this kid was one of the most pampered kids that ever came along? (laughs) Boy, after waiting this long a time, And all, uh, I'm sure that Isaac was just, oh, my, the center of attention and, and excitement and all. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had born to Abraham, mocking. Now, at this time, he was a teenager, 13, 14 years old. And he, at this great ceremony and all and feast, he, he mocked. He was looking with a sneer at this half-brother of his. And Sarah saw his attitude and the sneering. And therefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son, uh, now, Abraham was torn. He, he loved Ishmael uh, because Ishmael was his son, and uh, the thing really hurt Abraham. But God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad and because of thy bondwoman. 
In all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. So God is telling Abraham, go ahead and listen to your wife. Hearken unto her. Cast out the bondwoman. And also the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation, because he is thy seed. And Abraham rose up early in the morning. He took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. Now that, is, of course, is not very much to give to her, a bottle of water and a loaf of bread and, and send her off. And she wandered in the area of Beersheba, evidently was intending to go down to Egypt, but lost her way. And soon she ran out of water, and the child, she put the child under one of the shrubs, and she went and sat down over nearby a good way off, as it were, a bowshot. Now, this was happened after the weaning of Isaac, and they usually nursed children until they were three or four years old, so it means that he was actually about 16 years old or so at this point, Ishmael. And uh, yet because of the lack of water, he was faint, and she put him under a bush, one of the shrubs, and she got down a ways off, about as far as you could shoot an arrow. And she said, let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him, and she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the lad. So evidently Ishmael was praying also unto God as he was lying there under that shrub. And the angel of God called unto Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What ails you, Hagar? <laughs> How many times has God called out of heaven and said, What ails you, you know? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise and lift up the lad and hold him in your hand, and I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water, and she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad a drink. And God was with the lad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. And so Ishmael became the father of the Arabs. And so actually... The Arabs and the Israelis are linked together through Abraham. And yet there is to this day that bitterness and animosity that exists between the two, between the Arabs and the Israelites. And it came to pass that at that time that Abimelech, and Phicol, the chief captain of his host, spake unto Abraham, saying, God is with you in all that you're doing. Now therefore swear unto me, here by God, that you will not deal falsely with me, nor with my son, nor with my son's son, but according to the kindness that I have done unto thee, thou shalt do unto me, and to the land wherein thou hast sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. Now, Abimelech recognized that the hand of God's blessing and prosperity was upon Abraham. And he began to be a little fearful. What's the future hold? What about my grandkids? You know, if this guy is continually blessed of God and gets great, maybe, the, you know, he'll, he'll wipe us out. And so he wanted sort of a treaty with Abraham that uh, he would treat them well. And Abraham then took the opportunity to reprove Abimelech because of a well of water which Abimelech's servants had violently taken away from Abraham. 
And Abimelech said, I did not know that this thing was done. You didn't tell me about it, and I didn't know it until now. And so Abraham took sheep and oxen, and he gave them to Abimelech, and they both of them made there a covenant. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs by themselves. And Abimelech said to Abraham, what's, what's the deal with these seven ewe lambs that are sitting over by themselves? And Abraham said unto them that these are a witness that I am the one who dug this well. And so they called the name of the place Beersheba, or the well of witness, because there they both of them swore together. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba, and Abimelech rose up and Phicol, the chief captain of his host, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a grove in Beersheba of Tamarisk and called thereupon the name of the Lord, the everlasting God, El Elom, Olam, El Olam, God everlasting. And Abraham sojourned in the Philistines' lands for many days. Now it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham or tested Abraham or proved Abraham. Let no man, when he is tempted, say that he is tempted of God because God never tempts a man to do evil. Our enticements to evil come from our own flesh, the lust of our own flesh. God doesn't tempt you to do evil things. God does test us. Jesus went through great testings and he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. We as Christians experience testings, but the purpose of testings are manifold. It's just not a single purpose for a test. It isn't always just to make you fail. It's often time to prove how much you do know how far along you've come in your understanding, in your development. Our scientists today have created many exotic materials for use in space. But these materials are subjected to all kinds of testing procedures. Now the purpose of these testing procedures isn't to destroy the material, but to prove whether or not the material will stand up in particular kinds of stresses. We want to prove the value of the material, and so the testing is to prove the worth, the value of the material. Will it stand up under stress, under strains, under heat, under cold, under pressure? And so we are tested as Christians, not by evil from God. Let no man say when he is tempted, I'm tempted of God. God tempted me to do an evil thing. Now God doesn't do that. I'm tempted to do an evil thing when my own lust is drawn away, I'm enticed. But God does bring me into many testings, and God was testing Abraham, proving him. In this manner, God said unto Abraham, he called him, he said, Abraham. Abraham said, here I am. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah. This is the first time the word love is used in the Bible. 
And it is interesting, it's not used of a mother's love for her children or a husband's love for his wife, but it's used of a father's love for his son as the greatest love. Because we have a picture here of the love of the heavenly father for his only begotten son. That relationship that exists between the father and his son. So take now thy son, thine only son. Wait a minute, we've just sent Ishmael away. He was the son of Abraham through Hagar. God doesn't even recognize him, why? Because Hagar was the product of the flesh and God does not recognize the works of the flesh. Jesus said that in that day many were going to come saying, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in thy name and we healed in thy name and we cast out devils in thy name and did marvelous works in thy name? And Jesus said, I will say unto them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. They were works actually of the flesh not really of the Spirit, directed and guided by the Spirit. There are a lot of our works that we have done for God that are totally unrecognized by God because they are works of the flesh. The Bible says in that day our works are going to be tried by fire to determine what sort they are. And if your works will endure the fire, then you'll be rewarded for them. But much of our works are as wood, hay, and stubble. They will be consumed in the fire. You're not going to get a reward for it because of the motivation behind it. Jesus said, take heed to yourself and your righteousness that you do not your righteousness before men to be seen of men. And so if the works that you're doing for God, in quotes, are really being done with the thought in your mind of, of recognition by men. They're going to know how spiritual I am. They're going to know how wonderful I am. They're going to be saying, oh, isn't he great? Isn't that marvelous what he's doing and all? And I'm doing them in such a way as it draws attention to myself and praise and glory unto me. Jesus said, hey, you've got your reward. Take heed to yourself and to your righteousness that you do not your works before men to be seen of men. Don't let that be your motivation. So our, the motivation behind what I've done, much of what we do for God, again in quotes, is really done for our own glory or honor or benefit or recognition. God does not recognize your works of the flesh. That means that a lot of people are going to be totally wiped out as far as rewards go. For the motivation behind their works or service for God was all wrong. Now, it is tragic that so many times we are motivated by ministers to works of the flesh. I was in a conference in the denomination where I was once serving the Lord, where the supervisor came before the ministers and he said, now we know that motivating people through competition is carnal. 
But it's time we face the fact that the majority of the people we minister to are carnal, and thus we must use carnal motivation. And so we're going to have a great contest in which we want each of you pastors to challenge another pastor in his church to an attendance contest and get this competitive thing going. Put up a comparative kind of a graph on the platform, and at 10 o'clock, one church calls the other, how many did you have this morning? And you give the number, and you put up their number, and then you put up your number, and you get the people all stirred through competition to beat the other church. And then one of his cronies, by prearrangement, stood up and said, that's a tremendous idea, but I make a motion that our whole division challenge another division to a contest. And another crony, by prearrangement, stood up and said, marvelous, I second the motion. Whipping them into a frenzy, the superintendent said, all in favor, stand to your feet. And they all stood but me. And some of the other young ministers that I've been in some of the sidewalk seminars with, seeing me sit down, sat down also. So after the meeting, the superintendent called me. And he began to talk to me about rebellion <laughs> and cooperation and things of that nature. And I said to him, well, let me tell you that I am really in a quandary over this. Because when you introduced the whole concept of competition, you yourself admitted that it was carnal motivation, but that we had to recognize that most of our people were carnal, and thus we needed to use carnal motivation. I said, I don't think that I agree with that in principle. I don't think that we should come down to their level, but we should seek to stay on a higher level and lift them to a higher level of relationship where they don't need carnal motivation. But I said, the thing that bothered me even more than that is that then you went ahead, endorsed the motion of the competition between the districts, whipping these ministers into a activity through competition Thus, you must assume that all of the ministers are also carnal. And I said, I will admit that I am more carnal than I want to be, but God knows I don't want carnality. I want to be spiritual and walk after the Spirit. And so we parted, and as I was praying over the thing, saying, God, I don't want to be a rebel, and I don't, want to be in that position of being classified or rebel. You know that I'm not rebelling against you. You know that I'm seeking a spiritual walk and a spiritual life. I just want to walk with you, Lord. And the Lord spoke to my heart in a very special way, and he gave me the scripture, and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I said, oh, thank you, Lord. That's all I need. At the end of this contest period, we received an interesting telegram that said, congratulations, your church won first place <laughs> in the Class A division and come to a combined rally of the two districts and pick up a trophy and so forth. 
and take 20 minutes on the program to explain, you know, all that you did to motivate your people. <laughs> and I had to write back to them and decline the trophy and decline the position. And I said it would be embarrassing to bring a trophy in. The people never knew there was a contest going on. But the Lord added to the church daily, such as should be saved. Naturally, I couldn't stay with the denomination much longer. But I will confess that I have been guilty of, in the early ministry, in the early years of ministry, of motivating people to carnal works through carnality, dividing the church into the reds and the blues, giving away bicycles and giant lollipops and beach balls and the whole thing, you know, to, to try to motivate people to work for God through carnal motivation. But God does not recognize the works of our flesh. Doesn't even acknowledge them. Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac. God doesn't even recognize Ishmael, the work of the flesh. return with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of Genesis on our next broadcast as Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order Genesis 21 through 22 when visiting the wordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD. And our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is the Word for Today. P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. May the Lord bless and keep you through the week and may you live after the Spirit, walk after the Spirit, follow after the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit. For I speak to you in the name of the Lord, if you are living and walking after the flesh and indulging in the areas and the things of the flesh, God will bring you into judgment. It will destroy you. You need to walk after the Spirit and make God guide and help you in Jesus' name. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. God is looking for someone that he can use to accomplish his purposes on this earth. The apostles were more than willing to be used by the Lord. So what was it that gave them the certain spiritual characteristics necessary to be used by God and to be a powerful, godly influence to change the world? 
Well, in a book entitled The Man God Uses, Pastor Chuck Smith brings the scriptures to life as he examines the book of Acts. He reveals the secret to the apostles' boldness, the five essential components of prayer, and the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. So if you've ever wanted to accomplish more for the kingdom of God and to be an instrument that he can use, then I encourage you to pick up a copy of Pastor Chuck's book, The Man God Uses. To order a copy of this book in print or download a digital copy, please visit thewordfortoday.org or call the word for today at 800-272-9673.